The National Industries for the Blind is out of options with the General Services Administration. NIB took the unusual and what it says unfortunate step to sue GSA over its commercial platforms initiative. In his weekly reporter's notebook, executive editor Jason Miller covers why NIB turned to this last resort option. Jason joins me now. And Jason, let's just take a step back here. The Commercial Platforms Initiative, what is it and what's the status of it by GSA? This is something that GSA kicked off in June 2020. They made three awards to Amazon Business, Fisher Scientific, and Overstock Government based on a provision in the 2018 Defense Authorization Bill to try to make buying of commercial products better, faster, cheaper, more like, quote-unquote, Amazon. For years, Tom, we called it the Amazon Rule, Section 846 of that NDAA from 2018. And really, the goal here was twofold. One, make it easier, but also to capture better data around online spending. GSA at one point said this market was like $6 billion. They've actually come back off of that and said now it's about $500 million. Still a lot of money, but the goal here is to make it easier for agencies to use it. And if you look at the data from uh, earlier this year, GSA has shown that, that agencies are using it. In fact, when you look at the 2022 highlights, more than $40 million has been spent through these commercial platforms, 150,000 plus orders, uh, 26 different agencies are using it, 53,000 users, and now they're looking to expand it. All right. That's a lot of bobby pins so far for $40 million. And the National Industries for the Blind, just give us the uh, short version of what that organization is all about. Sure. Now, the National Industries for the Blind, they're a nonprofit organization that really works closely with the Ability One Commission, which is a independent federal agency, to help administer the Ability One program. What NIB does is really distributes federal government orders for products and services along a procurement list to folks who provide these products and services by hiring and employing people who are blind or, or people who have sight challenges. This goes all the way back to the Javits-Wagner-O'Day Act from the 1930s, which really mandated the Ability One Commission provide this procurement list and provide that agencies are mandated to use this procurement list to buy these specific products and services. Now, generally speaking, Tom, this is something that every agency knows about. This is something that's been in procurement law for years. So that's where the rub comes in, this new RFP that GSA put out to expand the commercial platform initiative. All right. And so why is the NIB suing GSA over that platform? The NIB looked at the draft RFP that GSA put out last fall and said, hey, you're not meeting the mandate of the JWAD Act. We think you should change it. We think that because JWAD Act mandates all government agencies to purchase these products and services from the procurement list, from the Ability One Commission, there are no exemptions to this unless if it's for you know a specific, a very specific need or very specific reason. The other thing is, Tom, there's also something called essentially the same, ETS as it's commonly known. Most of the time, GSA and other agencies prohibit the buying of essentially the same. So if a company that employs blind people are making pens, they can't go buy it from BIC, who doesn't necessarily fit under the Ability One Commission, is not on their list. They have to buy it from this company that buys these pens. Very simple example, but but a real one. What the GSA did was in their draft RFP and then eventually the final RFP, they did not mandate the use of Ability One Commission companies. And despite the National Industries for the Blind and others, and, and this also includes other organizations like the Association for Vision Rehabilitation and Employment and the National Association for Employment with People Who Are Blind, they said, hey, you have to require this. This is not a choice. This is a law. So they tried to get GSA to change the draft RFP. They even wrote to GSA Administrator Robin Carnahan and said, this is a problem. We need your help with it. And when the final RFP came out last December, they did not make those changes. In fact, 
they, Nib says to in, in the letter to Carnahan that the proof of concept that GSA started in 2020 was clear it was not complying with it. And they came sure. up with some quick statistics uh, just to drive home the point, Tom. Ability One purchases accounted for about 2 to 4% of total dollar value under GSA Advantage, about 9 to 10% of total value of sales under all of GSA's purchase vehicles. But the Ability One purchases were less than 1% of total value of this proof of concept of the commercial platforms. And that is the rub here. They're not following the law. And, and basically what Nib said is we've done all we can to work with you. This is our last resort following this lawsuit. I don't know whether this is relevant, but on the Amazon site, you can buy through the Ability One store, because I happen to love these things, those U.S. government skill craft pens, a dozen of them for 12 bucks. But it's through the Ability One store. So I don't know if that's relevant or not, but Amazon so is selling them. You're absolutely right. What they're not doing, though, they're also selling, just to pick on BIC, they're also selling BIC pens. So you could do either. Right. And what things like 10,000 pens, yeah. Exactly. And what things like GSA Advantage does is something called block and sub. Hey, I'm going to go buy pens. Oh, BIC, nope, you can't do it. You must use this other one. And I think that's the key here, that they have not blocking and subbing. And I think that's that's the heart of the issue, among other things, with the lawsuit. And what is GSA's response at this point? So to their credit, GSA, I think, has listened or has tried to listen to uh, the, the complaints or the concerns about from the National Industries for the Blind. And just February 8th put out a request for information asking folks, can we do something about the RFP? Can we put an amendment to the RFP? Can we do something to ensure that we're meeting the goals of the JWAD Act? And in fact, they've asked for feedback by February 23rd that says, hey, well, number one, do commercial, what commercial practices exist related to the making of these products that are Ability One items based on the list provided by the government? They talked about this block and substitute feature. Can that be used? Does it exist? Could we, could we make it exist? If so, how would it work? And then they also ask, you know, what, what are some of the commercial capabilities aside from block and substitute or blocking that could ensure the compliance with the Javits-Wagner-O'Day Act? So to GSA's credit, they they are trying to, to change. Tom, I think this goes back to a bigger issue, though. Why did it take a lawsuit for GSA to put out this RFI when they were told at the very, you know, months ago with even a letter to Administrator Carnahan to, hey, this was a concern. This was a problem. Fix it. And I think this goes back to a bigger issue, not at GSA, but across government. When people highlight issues that are concerning and, and they're in procurement draft RFPs, how well do agencies understand it, listen to it, make changes, respond to those changes, explain why they did or didn't make the change? And, and I think if the GSA would have met with the National Industry for the Blind and, and had a conversation, they may have. I don't know. I have right. reached out to GSA. I've not heard back from them yet. But if they had those conversations, could they have fixed this without, again, going to this last resort of a lawsuit? It sounds like there's a change to the specific websites that would be needed to get buyers to the proper places to buy from the approved sources. Who does that, GSA? It would actually that. be those commercial providers that would actually have to do it because GSA is just contracting with the Amazons, the Fisher Scientifics, the Overstock government. And that's why I think they're asking through this RFI, hey, can you do this already? Or what would it take to do this? Or is there a similar type of commercial capability that we just don't know about? You can call it block and substitute. You can call it something else. In other words, that's what, what this RFI is doing. They would want, say, a query coming from a .gov URL then to be directed to a certain place on Amazon and the others, as opposed to just being able to buy it alongside anything else they want to buy. Possibly, or even something like, hey, I'm going to go buy pens 
And as you go to buy the pens, it says no, it gets pushed to this Ability One Commission approved product provider who says, nope, you got to buy pens from this person. And it will explain why based on, you know, the Javits Wagner O'Day Act, you must buy pens from these sets of providers. Interesting. So this one is up in the air at this point. It is. I think uh, there's no dates on hearings. There's, I think it's still very early in the process, you know. Uh, the National Industries for the Blind just filed their lawsuit February 2nd. The bids for the commercial platforms initiatives were due February 3rd, so they got it in before the bids were due. So it's actually a solicitation-based protest versus a post-award protest. I think that there's still a lot to happen, and I think this RFI is a good signal from GSA that they do or, or they are listening. Again, Tom, it goes back to why did it have to get to the point of a lawsuit to get GSA to listen when they were told about this in September and October? Federal News Network's highly detailed Jason Miller. Thanks so much for that update. My pleasure, Tom. And be sure to check out his reporter's notebook now online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in direct care. And and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are are really um, you know we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought, well, you know, I'll take a look at it and see, see you know, throw, uh, send in my information, and lo and behold, I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries, uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has, a, has a good story. Like, it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should 
you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit, uh, from the athletes of special Olympics that, uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give, uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but, but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I, I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That, that, you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so, uh, joyful. And, and uh, I mean, we work hard and, you know, we, we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day. But, uh, man, you see it, it and, and, and the inclusion and the, at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, uh, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we 
that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences. And that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.